He said something else that is it's not mentioned now. Tell, tell him about the baseline, what you said about the baseline. No, 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 no. This is a family meeting. So, talk. In other words, instead of trying to just pull this out and pull that out and put it, once our total mindset becomes aligned with the finished work, then we are moving, living, speaking, talking, dreaming from that finished standpoint. Not always trying to help God to get something done. Amen? Justin, how do you define finished work? Say it again. I know your mouth is full of something, doesn't it? It's similar. Just, okay, whichever one comes, just define one of them for me. What God has done. On what God has done, rather, yeah. yeah. Absolute reliance on what God has done. Yeah. Yeah. And really, that's 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 the baseline for the gospel of grace. Just absolute reliance on what on the finished work or what God has done. So that's okay. So uh, I'm trying to see. Everybody has this. Okay. All right. Uh, <clears throat> let's go in your notes for a minute. Lesson number one. Like I was telling uh, Revelation, the, the problem with these things, these training manuals and teaching manuals, uh, is like what we discussed in Hebrews 10, verse 19 and 20. The message of God is a living message. So you put some things in writing, you capture it, and, every, and before the, the ink dries, something's been added. It's just, so, so we have to just be open <laughs> to, just, to just revise as we're going along because everything is just, God is adding more, he's giving more, and so forth and so on. So, okay, reading your Bible without getting confused or condemned. So most of the confusion surrounding the gospel of grace is rooted in several important factors, and I named four of them here. Number one, the lack of understanding of the different times or dispensation. That is a biggie. And we're going to address that somewhat as we go along in this teaching. Number two, allowing for systematic teaching on the subject. And again, I keep on making reference to this. In July, Pastor Dollar and I, were, we did a meeting in England for seven days, Monday through Sunday morning and evening. And being in that setting 
help me to understand the need of systematic line by line precept upon precept about teaching this subject. This gospel of grace cannot be taught on a Sunday morning in 45 minutes. No way. You hit some things and miss some things. It cannot even be taught on, on a series of teaching every Sunday for three months or six months. It's, it, that's, it's fine, but it's not effective. So if somebody comes on Sunday, they hear 45 minutes, they go back Monday and come back the next Sunday. Now, what do you think happens by the next Sunday? The birds of the air are stolen half what they got last Sunday. If most, of pe- most people that listen to us cannot remember what we said to them last Sunday. They can't. They just can't. You know, so, and, and, and I really don't blame them because even for me, I can't remember what I, what I, what I preach. <laughs> so if I can't remember what I preach, how can I expect for them to remember? So what I'm trying to say is we need times of deep teaching or times when we come together and just say, you know, for the next 10 days, every night, we're going to do a little at a time. That's more effective. That's what I saw in England. Morning and night for seven days. Even me, I said, whoa, now I understand. Okay? So we need to allow for systematic teaching of the subject. And number three, we need to give people room and time for assimilation. Room and time for assimilation. Listen, most of what we are hearing, even though it's been in the scriptures all this while, for many of us, it's new to us. So we have to give ourselves time to assimilate it, to chew on it, and to really be able to embrace it. We have to allow time. Even the apostles, as you see in the book of Galatians, Paul had to correct uh, Peter. Peter who came back later to say what Paul is saying is true. But he found himself believing it and walking back a little bit. And Paul had to correct him. And number one, lastly, number four, the vastness of the message can never, cannot be grasped in one session. It's not possible. It's not possible. Okay. So how do you read your Bible without getting confused? Let's, do, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. How do you read your Bible without getting confused? Chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Thank you. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. So I want to make sure you guys get this, you understand this. We are not saying anything here to discount any part of the scriptures. All scriptures are given by the Spirit of God. And verse 17 says that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let me just stop right there for a minute because one of the big elephants in the room when it comes to the message of the gospel of grace is this notion that because we are no longer under the law, that there's no more work to be done. That is not true. 
All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, correction, reproof, and instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good And I'm going to break that down in a minute because that, that's what we're dealing with here at church here, work fan. People just gone on a, a what I call a, a cruise control. They, they just, they just uh, on this, uh, uh, I, I, do, I, I like the word, they just think, ah, well, we are no longer under the law. Uh, we don't have to, do, I mean, we, you know, we don't serve God through works. And no, we may not serve God through works. But when you are saved, and you receive that grace of God in your life, that grace better be doing something. Yeah. So we begin to make that shift now, to, be, to be reorientate people. Say, whoa, 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 whoa. When we talk about works, we are saying you don't earn your salvation. You don't earn your favor. You don't earn the blessings of God. And, and as with any teaching, when a new teaching comes, yes, we must emphasize certain things in order for people to get it. The, 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 the bad thing about that or the negative about that is as you emphasize certain things, you leave certain things out. So people hearing, God bless me, God bless me, God bless me, I don't have to earn it, I don't have to deserve it, it's not of works, it's not of works, and they just totally switch off that I don't need to do anything else. That is absolutely not correct. As we just seen now. We're equipped for every good work. Good work. Amen? We're going to address that more later on. But I just want to throw that out. Okay, so, now, all scriptures are given by the word of God. Now, let's go to Luke 24. Luke 24, verse 27. Luke 24, verse 27. There we go. Jesus, Jesus speaking. Welcome, Barista. <laughs> and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expanded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, let's take a pause there. This is Jesus speaking. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expanded Pounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, the average person who's not well trained or skilled in the scriptures will say, wait a minute, where is Jesus in, the, where is Jesus in Moses? Where is Jesus in, in the prophets? And yet Jesus is saying to us that everything Moses wrote, everything the prophets wrote is concerning me. Okay, look at, look at verse, verse 44. <laughs> verse 44. The same chapter, verse 44. Watch this. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Which other scriptures left? He covered Moses. He covered the prophets. He covered the Psalms. He said, they were written concerning me. 
So you see clearly here that the, everything Bible is Jesus. Jesus was telling them. Now, mind you, the time he was saying this, he had not, well, it, I think he rose from the dead already, but the rest of the epistles were not written. Actually, that's not true. When he said this, yeah, when he said this, those guys have not come. But, 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 but you see why I had to take that back in a minute. Because you, you, see what, you see where I'm going with that in a minute. But anyway, so the point here is, you and I must start thinking, every scripture you read, every prophet, every psalm, every Moses, you need to say, where is Jesus here? Don't just lift a scripture and think because you lifted the scripture, this is the word of God. Remember, it's a living way. And we have to make the application. We must apply, we must allow every scripture to be filtered through the cross. And then we can get the application for today. That's what he sent to us. Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 in the Amplified. Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 15. Thank you. Look at this. Study and be eager to do your utmost to present yourself to God approved, tested by trial. A workman who has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing and accurately dividing, rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. For every believer, this is a pivotal scripture. Let's look at it slowly again. Study and be eager to do your utmost to present yourself approved to God. Now, until recently, I never paid attention to that next sentence. A workman who has no cause to be ashamed. A workman who has no cause to be ashamed. Every one of us here sometime has hired a workman to fix your toilet, to fix your air conditioning, to fix your roof, to do something in your house, to fix your car. A workman that needs not to be ashamed. What's, what, what, what's, what's God getting at? If a workman Rambo does shoddy job. Would they want to identify with that work? You make a, you made a, a furniture, a chair, and somebody tries to sit on the chair, you fall down. Do, is that workman proud of the work? A workman that needs not to be ashamed. Man, what's, is there, what's an example of a workman? A laborer, somebody that does something. That you, you're willing to put your name and say, yeah, I, this is my work. Like Michelangelo, the artist. He draws a painting and he signs his signatures there. Take it to the bank. I did this. A workman that is not ashamed. You take your cart for the transmission to be rebuilt. And they rebuild the transmission, and before you could drive out of the place, the thing is broken down again. 
Can that workman be proud of the work? No. So God is saying to you and I, just as a workman can do a work and stand behind the work and say, this work that I've done, take it to the bank, it stands, it works, you will never have to bring it back. I'm telling you, this is the best you can find in the market for this particular thing. God says that's where you and I should be with the scriptures. No, you didn't get it. Did anybody get what I just said? Yes. If you get it, can anybody tell me what I just said? A workman needs not be ashamed. Can, can anybody say it? In your own language. Ha, believers. Okay, let, 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 me, let me help you there. Let me help you. Let me help you. Let me add, huh? let me add one thing to you. Okay. All of that. Yeah. Now, applause to be able to articulate and teach others. Okay, good. Both of you are correct. But let me, let me say it in a different way. Okay. Study and be eager to do your utmost to present yourself approved to God. Like a workman. Okay. Let me put that word like. Like a woman who has no cause to be ashamed. Good example of a workman. Boeing Corporation. Boeing. 737 Max. Two fatal crashes. The whole world says, hey, wait a minute, I wanna, I'm not buying any more Boeing. Are they ashamed? Yes. The fatal crashes is called Boeing to be ashamed of their workmanship. They can no longer stand behind their product. Even the Air Force is finding fault with their uh, uh, C, the, the, the tanker, the, the new tanker, they, they, say they don't want to take any more from them. Qatar Airways is saying, the 787, we don't want it anymore. Because they are finding spare parts inside the engine, they are finding spare parts, they're leaving debris inside the brand new delivered aircraft. Yeah, that's what's happening. A workman, so the Bible does say, you and I should study to show ourselves approved unto God. Approved meaning sanctioned. Approved. Say, yeah, you've done right. You've done it correctly. Like a workman that's not ashamed of his work. Boeing cannot show its face right now when it comes to aircraft manufacturers. Now, in time, I'm sure they will correct it. But in this season, they, every week they're apologizing. Every week the CEO is just apologizing because they are finding new stuff. They said the aircraft is ready to get back in the air, they didn't find new fault. Ah, we're sorry. Uh, it's ready to go, we're sorry. They've been saying sorry now, they, they should just give him a heart and say, I'm sorry. Yeah. So God is saying, He does not want me and you to be that careless with the way we study scriptures. 
where we cannot be approved, we, we cannot get the sanction of saying, well done. This is, no, you broke it down correctly. This is good. Like a workman that doesn't work and run away and say, ah, no, no, we are really, uh, we are just, uh, that's not the final product. Yeah, we just try, we just try. Oh, Kunle just left. Oh, good. He just, he sent me a picture this morning, my brother. I, I sent it to you? Okay. He had somebody making me an art, outfit, an African new outfit. The guy measured him. He's been looking forward for the outfit. What do you call it? Those things. Outfit for for Jerry and Memorial for their sake. You know those African outfits. So they made it for him. He's been waiting, 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 waiting. Finally, the thing arrived yesterday. <laughs> one arm is like this. The other one is like this. <laughs> I will have a picture. I'll put a picture on the screen for you to see. Messed up! <laughs> Messed up! I mean, the thing just like this on him. Is also, ah. Messed up! That's a workman that needs to be ashamed. That's a workman that cannot stand behind a product. It is that bad. So God says, don't be like that. Don't miss where I'm going. So God is saying to you, don't be like that. Whatever you do, he said, let this, the way you study scripture, let it be just as a workman that stands behind his product. That can say, I made it, I did it, and I'm sure it stands. That's the way in which we should carry the study of scriptures. How does that happen? By correctly analyzing and accurately dividing. So if you're going to become a workman that needs not be ashamed, in other words, you want to get at a place where you can share scriptures and it's not going to come back and haunt you. If you want to get at a place where you're going to share scripture and it's not going to have to come back where you have to give a rebuttal, oh, I'm sorry, you know what I said yesterday? Actually, it's not correct. Now this is correct. If you don't want to be like that, you need to correctly analyze and accurately divide. Are you following me so far? Now, I, listen, I can, we, this is family here. There are teachings I've done. I will, I, I, I will, I will, even me, I will not listen to them again, ever. Yeah. Yeah. So God says we need to get to the place where we're correctly analyzing and accurately dividing. So this is the point. If we are to correctly analyze, it means we can incorrectly analyze. If the Bible says we should correctly analyze, it means there is a possibility that we, are in, we can incorrectly analyze. If it says we should accurately divide, it means the possibility is that we can inaccurately divide. And I want to submit to you, this is what's been causing the confusion in the body of Christ. Because for the most part, we've been incorrectly analyzing and we've been inaccurately dividing. Do you guys, are you following me so far? Okay. Let me give you a good example of that. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. 
Deuteronomy chapter 5. Ah, when I saw that thing about the workman, I said, whoa. Boeing is in deep trouble right now. Because it's all happening at the same time. And what they are now finding is that there's a culture that existed within Boeing for a long time for which they're making all these mistakes. Which is terrible because 356 people died because of Boeing 737 Max. Two fatal plane crashes as a result of a mistake that they made. But that mistake is the manifestation of more cultural problems within the organization. How can you deliver a brand new aircraft and a finding hammers sealed inside the airplane? Ladders, hammers, things like that. Somebody was working there and they now removed the, the I mean, it's, it's just brand new airplane. So the Air Force said, no more. We're not taking any more of these planes. You guys go back to the drum book and fix your problems. And that's, that's amazing. But anyway, and Moses called all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which are spoken in your hearing today, that you may learn them and be careful to observe them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Please, please, who is us in verse 2? Go back to verse 2. The Lord our God made a covenant with us. Who is us? Israel. This is not a trick question because in verse 1, go back to verse 1. Moses called who? All Israel. Yeah. So in verse 2, it tells them God made a covenant with us. Verse 3. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us. Those who are here today, all of us who are alive. Come on. The law was never given to anybody else but Israel. The law was never, oh my God, it was never given to anybody but Israel. Not only that, Moses said, even our fathers did not have the law. Abraham didn't have it. Isaac didn't have it. Jacob didn't have it. Joseph didn't have it. So now you can appreciate when you read about those guys how Abraham can be the poster child for faith and grace. He never had to deal with the law. Moses made a play. Ah, oh God, help me to explain this. Moses made it very clear. The law was only given to Israel. So why, why are we trying to live under the law when it was never given to us? <laughs> it was given to Israel. Okay, let's read Malachi. Let's read one more scripture. One more scripture. Malachi chapter 4, verse 4. Malachi 4, 4. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Israel for who? Sir, were you born in Tel Aviv? No, I don't. 
How about you? Were you, were you born in Bethlehem or Jerusalem? How about you, sir? Barista. Are you? <laughs> Remember the love of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in heart for all Israel. How many Jews are in this room? Now, it begs the question. Yes, if the law was given for Israel, why did God put it in the Bible for me and you to read? That's a good question. That's a good question. Why? Why did he put it in there for us to read? Let me answer that question for you. The law that was given to Israel was like a love letter between God and Israel that God is allowing you and I to read. It's between them. And through reading it, you and I get to see the heart of God, the nature of God, the character of God. But we we must understand, however, that even though we get to see that privilege, the bottom line was, this was a deal between them, not us. But in that deal, God allows this letter to become public knowledge so we can read it. How? Why? So we can get to understand his heart. What was he thinking when he dealt with Israel? What did he desire for them? How did God function? So by reading those letters, those laws, we, grow, we, we get away, not to, go, not to try to go and do them, but to understand God. Do you, do you follow what I'm saying? <sighs> Romans chapter 7, the Bible talks about how the law is holy. The commandment is good, and we're going to get to that in a minute because all of that is true. All of that is true. And the law, actually, even though you and I are not living under the law, God never took the law away. We'll address that later. I don't want this to confuse you. I'm just throwing this out. I don't want this to confuse you. So this is the point. All of the Bible is written for us. But all the Bible is not written to you. I'm going to let that sink in. All the Bible is written for us. But all of it is not written to you. For instance, you and I have no problems not plucking your eyes out, even though Jesus said it. He said, if your eye offended, pluck it out. When was the last time you tried to pluck your eye out? Why are you not obeying that? Jesus said it. He said, if your hand offended you, cut it off. Did he not say it? Why are you not doing it? So we have the sense enough to, to see some scriptures and say, no, this is not for me. We have no problems with that. But then we take some other scriptures and say, ah, it must be for us. We try to do it. Come on. I didn't see anybody come to church last Sunday to bring a bullock or a ram for an offering. Why do you stop doing that? It's in the Bible. Why, why do you stop bringing turtle dove to church for offering? Mm. 
It's in the Bible. So, do you see what I'm saying? The Bible is written false. That's why the Bible says all scripture is given for inspiration of God, by inspiration of God. But we must discern to know which is written to us. Let me tell you the parable of the confused pharmacist. The parable of the confused pharmacist. By the way, it's not this man here. <laughs> this guy, Bishop Adoy, is also a pharmacist. And this guy knows drugs very well, I can tell you that. If I ever have any question about any drug, and I'll call him. The name could be this long. I'm trying to call it. He finished calling it for me, and they tell me what he does. What he does. I said, ah, how do you know these drugs like this? He said, well, that's... <laughs> so, it's, so I'm not talking about him. This is the parable of the confused pharmacist. This is the way it goes. Two patients <clears throat> go to the doctor. One has cancer. The other one just went for a routine checkup. So the doctor writes a prescription for the cancer patient. Chemotherapy or something, some very aggressive, remediary uh, uh, action that the cancer patient must take. Writes a pres prescription. So the patient, the cancer patient, takes it to the pharmacist. The guy that went there for a routine checkup, maybe he lacks vitamin D, he lacks a few things. Um, he's already he's very healthy, but he just a few things to just get him 100%. Write another prescription for that. Takes it to the confused pharmacist. The pharmacy receives both prescriptions. And out of confusion, gives the medication for the cancer patient to the healthy patient. The guy that just went for a routine checkup, who just needs vitamin D, he gives him the chemotherapy. And a guy who is on cancer, who needs a serious, aggressive, remedial intervention, gives him vitamin D. You know the rest of the story. <laughs> the, cancer, the cancer patient, of course, dies. But it gets worse. The man who was healthy, who just needed vitamin D, as now taking cancer medicine that he did not need. So he ends up being sicker than he ever thought he could be. What happened? Because the pharmacy was confused. The doctor who prescribed the medication was not confused at all. That doctor is Jesus. The confused pharmacists are the preachers. Who every Sunday is giving healthy believers the dose of the law. When in fact what they need is the gospel of grace. So they come to church, get condemned, get guilty, get ashamed, and they totally completely miss their destiny. Because preachers every day are confused. Like the confused pharmacist. Does that make any sense to you? As a born-again believer, we don't live under the law. 
We live under a new covenant, the covenant of grace. Therefore, I need to be hearing the gospel of grace on a regular basis. Now, does that mean uh, uh, nothing for me to do? Not for me. No, no, no. Does it mean I don't pray anymore? I don't. No, 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 no. You miss it all. We've not gone to that part. That's the problem. We've been camping around all what God does for us. It's taking five, six years to establish that. Give me an Apostle Paul. I say Apostle Paul. Give me First Corinthians fifteen. <laughs> give me, give me First Corinthians fifteen verse ten. First Corinthians fifteen verse ten. Thank you. Look at what it says. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. You can, you can refer to it by, by, through Jesus, I am what I am. Because grace of Jesus is the same. And his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored. Come on now, I thought we were not supposed to walk. He labored. More abundantly than they all. Comma. Yet not I. He recognized that it's not him doing it. But the grace of God which was with me. So, all, so clearly here we see that there's responsibility to grace. We've just not gotten there yet. Because we've been so busy trying to go over the same old, old, old stuff of establishing a foundation. But there's no way anybody gets grace and sit down. It's not possible. True grace will move you. True grace has to move you. Because now you're totally, completely saturated with the things that make God's heart break. Sacrificial love and serving. That's what Paul is talking about there. Okay, so, so for, for the rest of the night, let me just see how, how far I want to go. Let me just, let me just, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four, I know we call it four Gospels, but can I tell you the truth? I, I, this is not heresy. They are not Gospels. That's what we call it. Four Gospels. That's what we call it. Truly, they are the four accounts of Jesus' life. See, remember the title, how we got here? How to study your Bible without getting confused. Okay, to prove my point, tell me in any of those four books how to be born again. Can you show me in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John how to be born again? Even when Nicodemus asked the question, when Jesus said to him, you must be born again, he said, how can that be? Can I enter back into my mother's womb and be born? He asked the question. How did Jesus answer? He that is born of the Spirit is of the Spirit. He that is born of the so, did Nicodemus leave Jesus understanding being born again? No. Oh. So, how do you call that the gospel? <laughs> Can you go to a crusade ground 
and preach a gospel message and, and there's no clarity how the people should turn to Jesus? Of course it's not the gospel. It's the historical account of the life and ministry of Jesus. And the reason it cannot be the gospel is because you cannot have a gospel without the death of Jesus. So I'm leading somewhere with what I'm saying. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 89 chapters of the Bible. There are 89 chapters in those four books. 89. 80 out of the 89 are all in the Old Testament under the covenant of law. Listen, am I, am I, is this heresy? There's a dividing line between the law and grace. What is the dividing line? Death, burial, and resurrection. Okay, let's read one scripture. Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. Hebrews 8, 13. Thank you. In that it says a new covenant... He has made it first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. There's another scripture. Uh, give it to me, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 16 and 17. Hebrews 9, 16 and 17. Ha, this is it. Watch this. For where there is a testament... There must also of necessity be the death of the testator. So there cannot be a new testament until Jesus died. Where there's a testament or where there is a will, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. Give me verse 17. Ah, look at it. This, this, this is the king. For a testament is in force after men are dead. Since it has no power at all while the testator lives. So as long as Jesus was alive, not having gone to the cross, there was no New Testament. I'm talking about how to read your Bible without getting confused. So you open to Matthew chapter 1 verse 1. You say you are reading the New Testament. You lie. Matthew 1, chapter, chapter, Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 is not the New Testament. It's not possible. Because the covenant did not come at his birth. It came at his death. Thank you. Now, this is important. This is where I'm going to close tonight, but, uh, but I want to take it very slowly because we have to get this. 80 out of 89 chapters, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were all totally Old Testament. Thank God for our Bibles, but you must understand the message is inspired, but the divisions of the Bible is not. It is a man that said chapter 1, chapter 2, 
chapter 3. God didn't say that. When Paul wrote his letter, he didn't write chapter 1, chapter 2. No, he just wrote a letter. Men came later and broke it down, hoping that they're helping us to get better understanding. But the truth is, they messed it up worse. Now, the reason this is important, what I've just shared with you, the reason it is important, people are fighting. Because they're saying, no, Jesus said it. No, Jesus said it. True, he said it. Isn't he right? It's true. But where was he when he said it? Under what covenant did Jesus live? He lived under the law. Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent for the Son, made or born under the law. He ministered under the law. So 90% of Jesus' messages were law messages. Because that was the time in which he lived. And he, Jesus, had to fulfill the law. If he did not fulfill the law, he would not have been qualified to go to the cross. It was not a mistake. He didn't do anything wrong. No, the message is valid. Absolutely. For unbelievers. Now, you, you, need, to, you need to really get this. I had a meeting on Sunday with a group that pray in the church. And I said to them, I said, listen, I know we are just getting this message. We are just coming to understanding of this. I said, but you need to be careful. When you get up to pray before the people, you cannot continue to pray under the law. And I use one example. The issue of forgiveness. A couple of times it's happened when someone is praying and says, okay, now if you don't forgive your, uh, the person that has offended you, God will not forgive you. Now, Jesus said that. Jesus said that. But is that valid today? Hear how tricky this is. Let me, if you don't forgive your wife, God will not forgive you. You know what you're saying? Just saying that his forgiveness is contingent on something he does. And the Bible says, we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. The moment you can boast and say, I did something for him to do something, your honor works. So the question is, I know this happened in, in a church in Maryland where it became a big argument. And the pastor was very upset with the preacher who was preaching this message on forgiveness. And the preacher said, this is the problem with you grace preachers. You are telling me now that the words of Paul are more important than the words of Jesus. Jesus said, if you don't forgive, your heavenly father will not forgive you. Yes, Jesus said it. So the guy was not able to discern between what Jesus said when he said it, under what circumstances he said it, versus what's happening now. 
And it became a big, the meeting blew up. First of all, we must understand that Paul's ministry is a direct extension of Jesus' ministry. No contradictions. Give me Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Galatians 1, 11 and 12. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. Verse 12. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. But it came through the revelation of who? Jesus Christ. So Jesus and Paul were not contradicting one, one another? No. Jesus lived in, one t- in a certain dispensation, and Paul is living in a different one. And Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 16, verse 12, give it to me, John 16, 12. He said, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot take it. John 16, 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Many things. I didn't, cover, I didn't cross all the T, dot the, all the I's. You guys are not ready. It's like teaching uh, uh, chemistry to a kindergarten. So you go to five-year-olds, you're going to teach them uh, chemistry, how to titrate, how to do titration, how to dissect a toad. Won't you be wasting your time? So Jesus understood where those guys were. I've brought you so far, but when I go away, I'm going to send my spirit. What I've not told you, my spirit will give you all to you. You are not going to be lacking. It's just that you are not ready now. Pardon me? You cannot bear them now. That word now means it, it, it defines a time. Now. You cannot bear, it didn't say you can never bear them. It said, but you cannot bear them now. There's a time element. But a time will come when you will be able to bear them. So he did not tell them anything. Back to my earlier thing. Why did he not tell Nicodemus how to be born again? The man asked him a direct question and Jesus didn't answer. He confused him more. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yes. But now he gave the revelation to Paul. Romans 10, 9. And that's, where, that's all of us. That's what we use today. That you shall believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus. That God has raised him from the dead. That shall be saved. Nobody else had that revelation. God gave, him, gave it to Paul because now he has gone to the cross and the door is open. Now that the door is open, this is how to do it. What good would it have been for Jesus to tell Nicodemus that and he could not enter into it? Why tell him something that he knew that Nicodemus cannot do at that time? So he didn't tell him. But when the time was ready, he gave that revelation to Paul. And Paul now gives this to all of us. And now we have it. Does that make any sense? So with the issue of forgiveness, back to forgiveness. Give me Ephesians 4.32. Ephesians 4.32. 
And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. So Paul is not saying you don't forgive. Jesus wants you to forgive, and so does Paul. Both of them want us to forgive. Even as God in Christ forgive you. That's a big difference. How did God forgive us? Did we beg for it? Did we beg for forgiveness? Yeah. You guys are not saying with confidence. <laughs> no. No. How did he forgive us unconditionally? Abba, go back to the cross. He stood on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they were doing. Were those guys asking forgiveness? No. When they were not asking him for forgiveness, he was giving it. So Paul says we should forgive one another. But not a condition to say, I forgive you so God can forgive me. Now I forgive as God forgive me. No condition whatsoever. Both of them want forgiveness. Because forgiveness, if you don't forgive, it's, it's a serious crisis in your life. It causes a lot of damage, a lot of sickness. All kinds of crazy things happen to people who do not forgive. So forgiveness is good. It's helpful. We must encourage it. People need to forgive. But you cannot use forgiveness as a carrot. Tit for tat. If you forgive, God forgives you. No, that's not correct. Under the law it was, but not under grace. Under the old covenant, Forgiveness is something God does. Under the covenant of grace, forgiveness is something God gives. Give me Romans 5.15 in the NLT. Romans 5.15 in the NLT. Watch this. Romans 5.15. But there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. You see how grace defines the gift? For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and what? His gift of forgiveness. So forgiveness is not something you earn, it's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. So I cannot use that in spiritual warfare, in deliverance, in admonition to say, ah, the reason you're not getting healed is maybe you have unforgiveness in your heart. I don't know how many times I've I've said that out of my own mouth. And it's, it's not correct. You cannot say that God is not going to heal or bless somebody because they are unforgiving. No! That is contradictory to the scripture because forgiveness is a gift. Healing is a gift. Prosperity is a gift. We cannot put conditions on that. Oh, I'm going to get heretic now. You cannot even say God cannot bless them because they didn't give. You better not say it. 
Because God will, God will clearly tell you that he reigns on the just and the unjust. <laughs> he reigns on the just and the unjust. Absolutely. Folks, this message is liberating. It's totally, completely liberating. So we forgive not because we're trying to get something from God. We forgive because we've already gotten something from God. Do, do you understand that? Okay, so, so, so let, let me leave that alone. I think, I think, and then of course, Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 also talks about forgiving as Christ forgave us, which is an unconditional thing. There's no price to it. Just, it's just forgiven. Mean, do you know that the whole world is forgiven? Yeah. Even right now, as we speak. Yeah. Everybody's forgiven. They just have not received it. Yeah. They've not accepted it. That's the difference. There's no forgiveness for me and a different one for that person and a different one. No. When he went to the cross, all mankind was forgiven. All mankind forgiven. Just like that. The difference between us and them, they have not accepted the forgiveness. That's the difference. I don't have time to go into the case of the Supreme Court where uh, President Andrew Jackson pardoned a, a prisoner. He was pardoned. He forgave him. And the prisoner refused to, for, to accept it. True story. He refused to accept it. And they were baffled. What do we do? This guy has been condemned to death. If he does not accept his forgiveness, we're going to kill him. And they didn't know what to do. Because he refused to accept it. And the case went all the way to the Supreme Court. You know the ruling? A forgiveness that is not accepted is not a pardon. <laughs> a forgiveness that is not accepted is not a pardon. The president issued the decree, you're forgiven. But the man refused to accept it. And he had to die. He died. He died. That's what's happened to the world. Jesus has forgiven the whole world. But they've refused to accept this gift. That's what condemns them. That's what condemns them. Ah, I don't want to go there. Let me just leave that alone. That's what condemns them. Now, let's bring this home as we get ready to go home. Uh, what time is it? 7.50. Okay, good. Let's go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Since we're talking about forgiveness, let's go to Matthew chapter 18. Let's see how this plays out. Because sometimes we are very comfortable in just uh, defining responsibility. You know this story, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and a payment be made. 
The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me. I will pay you. Now notice this. In verse 26, all the servant was asking for was not forgiveness of the debt, but he was asking for more time. Don't miss that. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me. I will pay you all. He was not asking, forgive my debt, but just give me more time. Verse 27. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. Now watch this now. This man came to ask for more time. What did grace do? Grace surpassed what he was asking for. <laughs> if you want to know how to live in grace, when people are coming to you with baseline request, surpass it. Surpass it. Ephesians 3.20. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, what does it say? Now, he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, abundantly that which you're able to think or ask. That's who God is. Abba, look at God. The, 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 the Canaan of Galilee, they run out of wine. He could have just multiplied the wine enough to give them a, a glass each. You need more wine? I'll give you a couple of more glasses. Is that what he did? No! He gave enough supply to where they could drink wine for the next one year. Exceeded the expectation. They were hungry in the wilderness. He multiplied the loaves and the fishes. They ate and ate and ate and ate. They had 12 baskets left over. God always surpasses the mark. So for this guy, he said, give me time. I'll pay all. The man said, oh, really? Man, grace kicked in. I forgive you completely. Completely. Now, verse 28. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Much less than he owed. Much less. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me. I will pay you all. The same exact thing that he said. With what the guy said to him. And he would not. But went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. This is the point I'm making. Folks, this is where the rubber meets the road. You and I, have been unconditionally forgiven. Are we going to be like this servant who have received the forgiveness of God and then a guy or a woman says something odd, something irritating to us and we get mad with them forgetting that we were in a worship and God forgave us? The point being, you do not know if grace has become your lifestyle unless you are living out the forgiveness you've received. Did you guys understand what I just said? Okay, let, let me find another way to say it. The proof that you and I are living in grace, that grace has become a lifestyle for us, 
It's not just how many scriptures we quote. Nope. God is not impressed with that. The proof is, because we have been forgiven, we now freely forgive others. No matter what. Wow. <laughs> it's tough. That's the proof. That's the proof. Because when you, rec- when you recognize where you are, and God reach down and lift you up and forgive you, not counting your trespasses against you any longer. Now somebody offends you and you have the right and the audacity to say, ah, they did X, Y, Z, I'm going to show them. That is not the spirit of God. It's not the spirit of grace. Now, are people going to rub off the wrong way? Yes. Are we going to be offended? Yes. When those things happen, we need to quickly go to the fountain to Jesus and say, Jesus, I know what you want me to do. Release that grace in me to do it. That's where the rubber meets the road. People will not be convinced that we are Christians when everything is fine and hunky-dory. No. What convinces them is when things are going south and you can still keep your bearing. We need to stop there tonight. I'll take your questions. So what I'm saying to you is, when you leave this place, you need to live by the grace of God that's upon your life. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. And no matter how hard we think it is, remember you are not trying to do this on your own strength. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit working through you to get it done. I'm going to give you a handout, bring it tomorrow, because I didn't get to the handout now. Because I don't want to put you guys on overload. Any questions? Ah, Kone, I told them about your outfit. <laughs> I use your outfit as an example. <laughs> a workman that needs not be ashamed. <laughs> yeah. Any questions or comments? No questions? You guys all got it? Wow, that's, that's deep. Yeah. I hear you, I hear you. Because what they did, you really have to live with the guy and all about that. But it's just something about the person. What do you guys think? That's a, that's a good one. Can you forgive a person and, and just don't like them? Huh? <laughs> <laughs>
problem is, be careful, like a snake, you could get bit. <laughs> so, don't go near it now, but you could, you know, it's, it's the way to go. If I could just say a quick thing that happened to my wife and myself. We were, we sold our home, we were going to move in to someone's apartment, but it needed to be fixed. New bathroom, needed a lot of work. The woman didn't have money to do it. So we agreed to fix it and then we paid. So we were doing all this. And we were starting to move our furniture. Well, she decided she didn't want us there. She Ooh. didn't like that we were changing things in our house, which we got permission to do, to fix it up. So to make a long story short, we then took our stuff out of there, but we had a Papa Damante chandelier that was worth like $1,500 that we wanted to get our chandelier back. And she said no. So basically, it was at that point where we felt really angry against this person. And we started to hurt because of it. Until we decided, through the power of God, to forgive her. And then it like weights went off of us. And then it came down to it. We even said to her, she, she contacted us a year later and said, you can come get your chandelier. Why don't you put the old one back? So we said, no, it's a blessing. That's the difference, and we feel great about it. Like you said, go beyond, yeah. and it does make you feel so much better. Thank you for joining that. I was going to say, um, I think that there's a difference between, um, um, you said something about like this is wisdom situation where, like, like, let's say if someone's hurting you, or you know, you just know that that may be. And uh, I have eight.
relationship that will stop at waving of hands, if you go ahead and then you start shaking hands, that's when people feel um, disappointed about what somebody has done to them because you are stressing the relationship beyond just the high that probably is meant. Then some people from shaking of hands Maybe the relationship just end there. Then you hug. Someone that you should have just, oh, good, oh, how are you? Good of you. Bye-bye, go. And then that's all. Then if it should end there, and then you move ahead to bringing the person to your bedroom, to your sitting room, then later to your bedroom, no. Every relationship you have where it ends. That does not mean you hate the person. And because I was in a church to preach as a guest minister, and during their Sunday school, I'd, you know, and the woman asked that, look, this person I love, and uh, when I give her a gift, she will take my gift, and then uh, will not use it. Somebody will told me that she threw it away. Uh, you are treating the person as a friend. But the person is not treating you the same way, and you are getting hurt. Hearing that, and you said, and somebody said, no, still keep giving, still keep giving. And I said, no. The issue is, you don't hate the person, you love the person, you like the person, but every relationship should have where it hangs. And the way I relate to you, sir, that's not the way I relate to other men of God. And things you've heard me told you, I don't think two, three people had the privilege of knowing it. That doesn't mean I don't like those other men of God or people, but the fact remains that relationships should have degree. So that I don't tell them everything about me doesn't mean that I don't like them, but <laughs> there should be boundary. Amen. Amen. So, yeah, okay. praise God. Um, I know we have had main cause, but after main cause, there should be a dessert. Okay. <laughs> and... Uh, before we leave, I want to drop that dessert now. Okay. Yesterday, what I shared with everybody practically played out this morning in our house. Ah, uh, okay. We got home, and the key to the car, this early this morning, when we were leaving, he magnanimously said, oh, Jerry, let me drive last night, and he drove. We got home, and this morning we wanted to come to the office to see uh, Her Excellency. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> we were coming to see her, and we started looking for the key. The three men. Uh, it started with the man... <laughs> The man who thought he was, he was responsible and he was moving everywhere. Went to the kitchen, went to this place, and I was there, down, I mean, downstairs, giving me order. Check your, the pocket of your pants. Check the back of your disc. And when I found out that my orders were just failing, I got up to join him because I, I was preaching the guy. 
Number one, he was feeling, why am I holding these people a ransom? Where would I have put the key? He went back to the car, he checked inside, did everything, came back home, <laughs> and we checked everywhere. And I said, why not look inside the fridge? <laughs> and yeah. somebody said, how can he be inside the fridge? I said, well, we never can tell. I went to the fridge, I opened. <laughs> then when he, my friend Jerry, saw that um, we were just tossing up and down, he got up and he started checking everywhere. He went back to his own room. He said, I'm sure that this key, I didn't take it to my room. He didn't give it to me. I said, still go and check. And he went and checked and checked and checked. And she walked downstairs. He said, what's that wrong? He said, you people have been here. You've not gone to where you wanted to go. I said, well, this is about 45 minutes we've been looking for. And she said, 45 minutes? He said, oh. She said, all right. Have you checked the dustbin? Said, no. What is key going to do in the dustbin? Is, is it? And she just went there like this and lifted. She said, the key. I said, Jesus. Now, listen to me. Listen to me. Listen. Listen. Can you give me, can you give me Revelation chapter 12 or 12? Revelation 12 1. If I just make this up or if it's just the way God designed these women. Revelation 12 1. The Bible says, now a great sign. Now, give me from King James. That is where I studied from. <laughs> this James. is for pastor. <laughs> King James. Okay. Give me King James. Now, listen to this. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven. And who is that wonder? A woman. Finish. <laughs> who has it? <laughs> Close the meeting. You're done. Thank you for that dessert. That's a good dessert. Amen. We're just going to get ready to, to go. That's just a joke here. When you were talking about um, the confused um, pharmacist, pharmacist. I, I was reading this story about um, a hospital in UK. And so the guy went in there for um, appendicitis. He woke up and they circumcised him. <laughs> <laughs> That's the case of the confused doctor. <laughs> The case of the confused doctor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, at least they, they left something for you. They didn't cut it all up. <laughs> yeah. That is. That is. Hey, man. <laughs> so we're going to continue tomorrow. I. <laughs> 8.30 a.m. we have um, a light breakfast and um, we'll start off at um, 9 a.m. Father, we thank you tonight for your word that has come forth. We receive it with all gladness. We thank you, God, for the working of this word.